basketball and occasionally women's basketball and whatever else they tell me to do uh, here at the paper. Uh, it's uh, Purdue and Maryland coming up this week uh, at Ross Age Stadium. It's homecoming uh, for for the Boilermakers. And if you haven't seen the, the moon-themed uh, helmets and the all-white uniforms that Purdue's going to wear, uh, it looks it looks pretty cool, and uh, everybody's in the uniforms nowadays. So uh, Purdue's kind of taking a step here with uh, uh, with the moon theme because they've had 25 uh, graduates go into space. Of course, the most famous Neil Armstrong walking on the moon, and their kinda, astronauts will be back here this weekend at Rossade as they honor them. But the, we also have a football game, and to get us ready for the football game. We are joined by uh, Emily Gamma Bevo. I think I just screwed that up, Emily. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I just I thought I had it, then I didn't, and I got my tongue twisted. So tell people what your last name is. It's Giambalvo. Giambalvo. There we go. Yep. All right. She works at the Washington Post, covers Maryland uh, athletics in general, football and basketball uh, in particular. Uh, she's going to give us an update on uh, where the Terrapins are going into this game and also just an overall uh, preview of uh, what, what we can expect from uh, Maryland coming up on Saturday. I guess the first question is, uh, uh, Josh Jackson, the, the number one quarterback, was hurt last week against Rutgers. And uh, I guess what's his status and what does the quarterback uh, position look like going into this week? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a scary spot in I don't know how much Purdue fans would know about this, but the Maryland quarterback position has had an absurd number of injuries in the last five, six years where Maryland can barely make it through without an injury. And it's frequently ACL. So I think when, when Josh Jackson went to the ground, it was, it was pretty scary for Maryland fans. Um, it's apparently a high ankle sprain and we, Loxley has not given any sort of timetable. He said he's day-to-day and wouldn't rule him out for the Purdue game, but he was not anywhere near practice, or we didn't see him at practice. Um, he Loxley said he expects Terrell Pigram to start, and that's certainly kind of what we all expect. It seems like a high ankle sprain is usually at least a couple weeks, a few weeks, um, so I you know, say about 99% sure Pigram's going to be the starter, and, and that's kind of where Maryland is. You know, it's never good to have your backup, but I think Loxley's pretty encouraged because he said the, the competition was closer than he thought it would be this fall. Um, when you bring in a graduate transfer like Josh Jackson, I think a lot of people, you expect that that's clearly going to be the guy, but I think Pigram did impress him um, through fall camp, and, and, you know, maybe the offense is in okay hands, but we'll see. He's never really led the offense for more than two games in a row. Um, he's played a lot for drives or plays or uh, helping out when other guys have gotten hurt. But, but has never really had a chance to lead the offense. So it seems like he'll he'll get that this month. Well, it'll be a battle of backup quarterbacks because Purdue doesn't have its number one quarterback <laughs> uh, who, who went out a couple weeks ago against uh, Minnesota. They'll have Jack Plummer again, or we assume it'll be Jack Plummer, uh, Jeff Brom earlier this week, in case you missed it, put an oar at the quarterback position between Plummer and Aiden O'Connell. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm expecting Plummer to start and play, but from just trying to create competition at every every position uh, on the roster. And uh, you talked about Maryland's quarterback injuries and ACLs. Purdue has its own history with ACLs going back many, many years. Uh, Robbie Hummel, uh, basketball standout, had, had two surgeries. And just anytime there's an ACL mentioned around Purdue, it's uh, – 
they get they get squeamish and it's just it's just kind of one of those things but how how much will the offense be different if at all uh if they don't have josh yeah i mean they're they're different quarterbacks i think you know pig is much more of a runner um he can get out of situations um probably won't get sacked much you know he's a type guy who can make things happen uh with his feet and and he's improved as a passer that was kind of what what the staff thought he really needed to work on when they got here he had an ability to kind of hit receivers downfield okay but but couldn't do those intermediate type passes um but it seems like he's made progress there but but Loxley said I think the phrasing he used was it's the same menu of plays for the two um but but maybe you you obviously always lean on the strength. So so maybe there are a few more quarterback run type plays, and or just the way you see him improvise with getting out of situations where Josh Jackson might have uh, taken a sack. You know maybe Pig is able to scramble out, but maybe we see a little less accuracy and and kind of reliance on a pass game, and Maryland just leans on its running backs a little bit more. Well, speaking of running backs, to me the centerpiece of their offense is Anthony McFarland. Uh, I mean, he's a guy that has tremendous speed, uh, has a lot of big plays this year. And I guess as long as you have a quarterback that can hand off to him in the RPO game, uh, Maryland should be and still still present, uh, possess a pretty good threat there on the offensive end. Is that right? Yeah, and I think that's definitely what they hope to do. And, and I think that takes a lot of pressure off a backup too it, when when the run game is working as it should and, and at Maryland you know that's very much the strength like you said Anthony McFarland I mean he's a guy who who's just so quick and, and just seems to break more tackles than he should um, and he had an 80 yard touchdown he actually hasn't been 100 percent he's had like a minor ankle issue so I'd imagine kind of as the weeks go on he'll he'll kind of get better and better and then the the other two guys Javon Leak and Tayon Fleet Davis are also really good right back so they they have options and I think that's something um, they'll rely on and 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 that's that's the key for Maryland is kind of getting that run game established but the offensive line has been a worrisome piece of this group so far in in fall camp blocks they said he only had seven guys he felt comfortable with playing um and then they had three starters missing last week so um it seems like two of those guys are going to be back for the purdue game and if those two starters are are back then i you know i feel a lot better about what this offensive line is going to be able to do in terms of helping the run game um but if it's another situation where those guys aren't able to play, then, then maybe that is something Purdue uh, is able to better stop. What, what has happened to Maryland's offense when they are faced with obvious passing situations? Have, have they been successful, or has it been, okay, they're in obvious passing situations, and it's just not going to, it's not, not going to work consistently enough for them to move the ball? Yeah, I think, I think that's been probably the biggest problem with this offense is that when they can get a few yards on first down, get a few more on second down, you know, they can move the ball really well. But when they lose yardage or don't get yardage on first down, then they start getting in these tricky situations. That is where we see it's, it's three and out and punt, you know, and and I think those obvious passing down situations have been an issue. And and that's whether that's because of the offensive line or uh, quarterbacks not making quick enough decisions or just accuracy that has been an issue. So I really think for Maryland, um, you know, I was looking at it this, this weekend. The big issue last year was that Maryland had one of the most explosive offenses in the country uh, in terms of just they would 
rack up these huge 20 plus yard plays but then efficiency wise they were one of the worst teams in the country so I went into it and it, it's pretty similar this year you know people are more excited about this offense with Loxley but when you actually look at it it's the same problem this year and I asked Loxley about that um yesterday about being more efficient and his first answer was you have to be better on first down and then I think that's exactly right um because Maryland hasn't had much success in, in those uh, third and long uh, situations. Right. Um, I want to move to the return game a little bit because uh, Javon Leak, you know, he's going to be in the backfield as well. But he's a guy that I believe it ranks in the top 10 nationally in kickoff and punt returns. Uh, what are they doing to give him that much space? Or is he just that fast, that quick that he's creating maybe his own home play, his own plays on uh, on those returns? I think it's a lot on his quickness. Um, the he had the hundred yards kickoff return to score last week, and he actually dropped the the kickoff. Like, and he picked it up and then and then ran, which which like makes it just even more impressive that he's able to do that. You know, it didn't take long, but it's a couple seconds there. Um, and he pretty much ran the the width of the field too um, to get to the other side to run up. So I mean, he's going like 140 yards here. Um, but but he said so to answer your question though he said that was how the blocking scheme was set up was that he was going to go to the right side so you know maybe yes he's really fast but also credit to what they're trying to do on special teams to get him in space and he I mean he's really dangerous if he can get a little bit of space whether that's uh, you know out of the backfield or or on those kickoff returns and, right. and he yeah. Now, when, when I look at this team defensively, you know, and I'm looking basically at numbers, you're looking at actual what's happened. You know, the Penn State game giving up 59, you know, Purdue just played Penn State, so they know how that could happen. But when you look at their, when you look at their other games, uh, and I don't, you know, the Howard game is so far ago and against a weak opponent, but holding Syracuse to 20, holding Temple to 20, now, Rutgers, not a great team, not a great offense, but they got seven. So where where is this defense at in your mind, and how have they performed uh, in, in most of these games? Yeah, I think the defense has maybe been a little um, underrated or under-talked about, maybe just because of kind of those explosive plays on offense, and Loxley's an offensive guy, and that's what everyone's been wanting to see and talk about when they score so many points in those first couple games. But but the defense has been really good, and, and apart from Penn State and against Penn State, because even in the Temple loss, the, the defense was fine. It was the offense couldn't do anything. So so I think the defense has been good in four out of five games. Uh, the problem with Penn State was they, they couldn't affect the quarterback. Like They had normally had a pretty good pass rush, pretty good ability to kind of you know, maybe not get sex, but but at least affects things. And Sean Clifford was able to do uh, just about anything he wanted. And the secondary um, has probably been the weaker side of the the defense. And and then when they're you're leaving those guys back there, kind of helpless. Um, you know, I think Sean Clifford threw for I can't remember a couple, at least a couple hundred yards against Maryland. Um, so so the defense though, the the pass rush has been good, and the graduate transfers Keandre Jones and Keandre Jones is the one who ends up with the sacks but Shaq Smith does a lot too on the other side um, at outside linebacker they've been good the defensive line is all new starters so there were a lot of question marks heading into the season with defense but but I've been impressed and and they've they've done a good job they want to be an aggressive defense and and kind of get back there and get pressure so if if Purdue's offensive line is questionable then that would definitely be kind of a point of concern I would say for Purdue and maybe something Maryland's going 
going to uh, specifically try to exploit. Well, I know there's 10 plays that they can watch from last week's Purdue-Penn State game that would give them a lot of confidence because uh, <laughs> those were the 10 plays that uh, Jack Plummer got sacked on. Uh, so they're going to come in feeling like they can uh, get some similar pressure because they they have 16 sacks uh, this year according to the stats, and they've, and they've also forced a lot of turnovers or forced continue to force turnovers in every game. Uh, I think the, the game notes say 17 straight games with uh, at least – one turnover. I mean, have you have you seen a difference as far as how this defense attacks and tries to create turnovers? Yeah, I mean, I was saying they were good at last year too. I think they had one of the better turnover margins in in the country. I think you've got a lot of guys who are athletic and and kind of can get to the ball um, well. And then the offense doesn't, you know, they did a good job of not creating turnovers uh, last year, but. Yeah, I think I think they the word they always use is aggressive. Um, you know, they don't want to play passively. They don't want to just kind of Locks always says like the bend don't break. They don't they don't want to do that. Um, and they're trying to force them. And I think a lot of that could have to do with what we're talking about with the pass rush too. So when you have guys up there affecting the quarterback, then that makes it a lot easier for a defensive back to maybe uh, grab an interception because maybe the ball didn't come out the way the quarterback would have liked it to or he couldn't see his receivers as well as he should have been. Um, but, yeah, no, it's been something Maryland's been really good at, and and there's some there's some guys back there, and they had two um, last week at Rutgers that, that were good plays on, on the defensive side. So, um, yeah, it's something that Maryland can do pretty well. Is there is there, is there a player of the two that has uh, surprised you on the defensive end? I think I can date Ely. He maybe just recency bias. He was the one who had a, a nice interception there um, against Rutgers and returned it to the two yard line and then uh, set up an easy score. But he's been good. He's a he's a new starter, someone who didn't play a lot last year. He's that inside linebacker uh, with Chance Campbell, and and I think in general, just the group has has surprised because they lost so many starters. I think. I was personally concerned that the defense might be quite bad just because when you have so many guys not returning. Um, and then Antoine Brooks is back at safety, and he's just he's just a guy who – last week was talking about it this week. He he has so many tackles, and he said normally with, with a safety getting so many tackles, you would think that it, you must be allowing big plays, but it's, it's not that. It's that Antoine Brooks is just kind of all over the place and is able to, you know, sprint around. Like, he's just so much energy and has – really been the kind of the leader um, on that defense. So I'd, I'd probably say them and then uh, Keandre Jones, Jack Smith have been really good too. All right, let's uh, let's talk a little big picture. New coach comes in at the beginning of the year. Uh, whatever expectations were there, probably not, probably not out of this world type of thing, maybe trying to get to a bowl game if things worked out. So they've got three wins right now. And – is this a team that you see three more wins on the schedule, at least three more wins, that can get them to a bowl game? And would that would that surpass what they wanted to do, or kind of what were the what was the preseason talk, and now what's reality for for Maryland? Yeah, I think bowl game, you know, for the time being, is always going to be the stand or the the milestone you're trying to reach at Maryland. You know, I don't think anyone who's realistic expects his team to go out there and win eight or nine games. So, so getting to six would be a really big deal, especially in year one. Um, losing against Temple really set back that that goal. Um, but when you look at the schedule, it really does feel like these next three games, you have Purdue, Indiana, Minnesota, and, and those are kind of the three 
that you look at and say, well, if Maryland's going to get to a bowl, like it should probably win, honestly, all three, because November is horrible for Maryland. It's Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Nebraska. It's like maybe you pick off Nebraska at home. I don't know. But, but yeah, so it's like these next three are critical. Um, and I think it's still possible. Um, and, and I think that would kind of put the season where people expected it, the five, six wins type type range the the problem though is that maryland started so well um at least particularly offensively against howard and syracuse that i almost think that recalibrated everyone's expectations so i think some people started thinking oh man you know michigan didn't look good you know maybe you pick off this team maybe you do that um so then that made this recent swing down feel much more extreme i think in the eyes of fans whereas if it had been a more you know tempered first two games then, then maybe you aren't as upset so i think it's been a whole big swing but kind of gotten us back to where everyone expected in that in that range of five maybe six uh, but six six would be a really big deal i think yeah when i look at their schedule obviously purdue this week indiana at home next week you know at minnesota coming up to end the month they're looking at the that stretch saying you, you got to make you got to do your business right now because as you mentioned Michigan, at Ohio State, Nebraska at home, and at Michigan State. Three of those are probably losses, just when you look at them on paper. The Nebraska game could be a win, depending the state of Nebraska at that point. So these um, did do they talk big picture as far as, okay, these next two games are going to be uh, – <laughs> are, are kind of yeah, going to help like, define our season? I, I have found, like, getting a team to talk about – anything greater than this week is pretty much impossible, which I'm sure you are aware of and is is true everywhere. Um, Though, I mean, that said, like, I I remember the the way they talked about a bowl last year because they had, they finished season five and seven and they lost their last four games. So it was kind of always on the brink of bowl eligibility. And you can really sense that like these guys want to get back to a bowl and like, that's important to them. I know it's important um, to them. And then when they had those first two games that they played so well, I think it was something they really took pride in and felt like, man, like we're showing people that Maryland isn't so bad after all or whatever. So I think like it is something they care about. About. Like, I think with a new coach, the players want to do their part in kind of proving, like, hey, like, things are going to be different here and here's how we're going to do it. And I think, you know, they're aware that that starts with, with a bowl game. So uh, your impressions of Mike Loxley and what he's brought and what – how do you see this program playing out under him? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think it depends on what the expectation level is because I just don't know if this is ever a program that is going to be, you know, I mean, they want to be competitive. They want to be competitive with the Penn States of the world and not lose 59 to zero. You know, I think an accomplishment would be, you know, maybe you consistently get two bowl games and then you can at least somewhat put up a fight against these top teams. Um, I personally think that would be a realistic expectation. I don't know if if the administration sees it that way or if the, certainly the fan base sees it that way. Um, it, it depends on how he can recruit. Everyone, you know, says he's such a great recruiter. They haven't gotten a ton of, like, flashy commitments yet because they still haven't proved that they can win games. So it's kind of like how those two things have to coexist, but one causes the other, and it's hard to break into that circle. So, you know, I think... I think he was the right hire for, for the time the program was in and, and whether he's the long-term fix, I think depends on 
whether people can rationalize their expectations for what this program can be in the Big Ten East with the way the landscape uh, looks right now. Yeah, Purdue's thankful every day it's not in the Big Ten East. <laughs> I mean, it, it just... I really thought I thought Purdue would be better this year. I don't I don't I don't know why. I, just because I the only game I watched last year was Ohio State, but but I kind of when <laughs> well, I you looked set at the bar pretty schedule, high then. <laughs> I know, I know, but when I looked at Maryland's schedule and I saw Purdue, I was like, oh, that'll be a loss. And now I'm thinking, oh, this could be a pretty good game. So right. well, Purdue, Purdue just had a lot of injuries. Uh, yeah. The front line players, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks they played without their starting quarterback Rondell Moore, Marcus Bailey, their their top linebacker and top defensive guy. They haven't had Lorenzo Neal all year, and those are. Those are four guys when they're healthy and at the end of their careers, they're guys that would be drafted in the NFL. And at Purdue, probably similar to Maryland, that you just you don't have the depth to replace a guy like a Rondell Moore. You don't have another Rondell Moore right. in your program. You don't have another Marcus Bailey uh, in your program yet. Now this is year three for Jeff Brom. He's trying to build build that depth. You know, his, his 2019 recruiting class was in the top 25. His 2020 class is in the top 30, I believe, right now. So it would appear that there's more more playmakers coming on both sides of the ball. But you know, this is a this is a program though that still needs some help at the offensive and defensive lines, and we we'll always need those helps. Always need that help. But yeah, it's I, I, there was more expected from Purdue this year, and you know, we'll see how this all plays out. But it does, it doesn't look promising right now but not I never felt they were ready to contend for the Big Ten West this year but the rash of, rash of injuries have kind of uh, taken them off track and then even when they were healthy losing the Nevada game really set them back yeah yeah, yeah. That, that was yeah. A, that that was a bad loss for them because they had 17 point lead and they couldn't hang on to it and that in a way has kind of set the tone for the season and I don't think it's a game that Jeff Brom has forgotten <laughs> I think it still still bothers him this day, and it should. Yeah. But then, well, cause, and it's like one win swings things. Like yeah. as we know at Maryland, like that's five and seven or six and six. I'm like that's a big big difference. Yeah. You if Purdue hangs on to Nevada, they probably beat Vanderbilt, and they're two and zero going into TCU. Now TCU probably still beats them, but that's over that period of time is when you started having the injuries and uh, all those other things that were happening. So. Uh, it, it has been uh, a less than stellar year right now from a record standpoint and also from a competitive standpoint. And, you know, the TCU game really wasn't that close. And obviously the Penn State game last week wasn't was probably should have been more than what it was. But um, it ended up 28 points. So, you know, this but this is a game similar to probably Maryland. They're looking at it. Hey, they, you know. Purdue has to get this game to get back on track, and Maryland has to get get this game yeah. to stay to stay on whatever track it feels like it's going to uh, be on this year. Yeah, no, I completely agree. All right. Uh, well, uh, we appreciate uh, you joining us today, Emily. Give, tell people where they can find you on uh, Twitter or social media. You're one of these young millennials that has all this stuff figured out, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm on Twitter at, at Emily GM, uh, the four, four letters of my last name, which are G-I-A-M. And then I, I write for the Washington Post, which is all at WashingtonPost.com. Right. So you're you're on the way to bigger and better things working at the Washington <laughs> Post at such a, such a young age. Maybe we'll we'll see you from the White House one day as you go through <laughs> into the news side, right? 
don't know. You never know. Or maybe you'll write about fixing the Redskins organization. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> now, <laughs> Lots of options yeah, here. Yeah, uh, Purdue has a strong connection to Washington Redskins with Ryan Kerrigan uh, playing for them, and he was their first-round draft choice many, many, many years ago, and uh, he, he's a fan favorite here, and I think he's a fan favorite out there. So you've, you've yeah. got a little bit Purdue to deal with out, out in the <laughs> Washington, D.C. area. But, Emily, yeah. we appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Uh, and yep. uh, good luck, uh, good luck with your career, and good luck uh, covering the covering Maryland the, into yep. football and basketball seasons. Yeah, thank you. Once again, thanks uh, to Emily for her time uh, in breaking down the Terrapins, uh, who visit Ross Aid Stadium on Saturday. Uh, it's homecoming, as we mentioned. Uh, the moon helmets, the white uniforms, the whole deal. It's supposed to be blustery. On Saturday, highs in the 50s, uh, rain coming probably sometime Friday, late Friday night into the overnight. Uh, so it'll feel like real football weather uh, coming up uh, uh, Saturday at Ross Aid Stadium as Purdue tries to, to break its uh, losing streak and get back on the winning side. Maryland comes in at 3-2. and two. Uh, this, this, as we talked about in that podcast, this is a big, big game for Maryland and their bowl hopes because, uh, as we went through the schedule, Purdue and then Indiana, then Minnesota, and then they're, they're heavy into the East schedule in November outside of Nebraska. And that, you know, this, these next, this game and then next week's game against Indiana is really going to define Maryland's season for Purdue. Uh, this is one of those games where, uh, you need to look at it and say that's that's a game that they need to get if they're going to climb back into a bowl picture or climb back into uh, getting uh, more than one win uh, this year. Because as you look at the schedule, they're at Iowa the next week. Uh, even though Jeff Brom's had uh, Iowa's number the first two years, uh, Purdue's not going in there at full strength at least right now. You got Illinois at home, what that you would view as as a game that uh, Purdue can win. Then you're into the month of November with Nebraska. Uh, you're at Northwestern, uh, at Wisconsin, and Indiana. There are some games that if Purdue plays well, uh, don't have to be perfect, but if they play if they play well, then I think that uh, they're going to be in those games and have a chance. But uh, getting to a bowl game is really going to be uh, an uphill climb and take a bit of a superhuman effort to get there uh, this year. You know, you're going to see some changes probably on Saturday, as Jeff Brom talked about Monday at his press conference. You know, you're going to see a few changes on the offensive line. Sam Garvin uh, is expected to start at center in in place of Victor Beach. Beach has been dealing with a a back injury really since last year. It kept him out of spring ball most of the time. So Garvin is a guy that has gotten a lot of snaps. He got a lot of snaps last year in spring ball. Uh, He's been getting snaps in camp. Uh, and he, obviously he, he's taken number one snaps this week, played last week at Penn State. Um, but, you know, he's going to be making his first start. Uh, you know, he's from Hamilton Southeastern down around Fishers. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big moment for him. It has to be. Uh, he, came, he, come, he came here as a walk-on. Uh, now he gets to, gets to start. How long Garvin will be playing on Saturday, uh, you know, it's still kind of unclear if Victor Beach will get in the game. Uh, on Jeff Brown's radio show Wednesday night, he, he mentioned that Beach probably will not practice this week, so that would probably limit uh, uh, limit him getting uh, getting into the game. And if Purdue would need a backup at center, 
uh, it would probably be Will Brammel. And Brammel's not expected to start at right tackle. Eric Miller is, is, is excuse me, is expected to start. And then uh, the other change probably will come at left guard with Mark Stickford, uh, who, who did start the TCU game and has played, uh, but that was on the right side. So, you know, Purdue had to do something on the offensive line to kind of change things up after last week's uh, debacle. Uh, at Penn State, not not all on the line when it comes to the sacks, but uh, Purdue still doesn't have a consistent running game. You know, Jack Plummer hasn't had a lot of time, uh, or whoever the quarterback uh, is going to be. Uh, we'll get to that in a second, but um, it's just something had to change. And, and talking to Matt McCann this week, he even said as he goes, "Hey, something had to change. You know, the the performance wasn't good enough at Penn State, and uh, so." In a way, they're just shuffling around pieces that they know who they have. They're just trying to find a combination uh, that works. It, it and, and you know, I've written about it, and I think it's been discussed on this podcast that really things are not going to seriously change on the offensive line until you know two things happen. Number one, you're recruiting a higher level uh, a player coming out of high school that is more ready to play by the time they're a redshirt freshman. Or, or sophomore after they get some seasoning, or you, you know you're getting you know offensive linemen that can play immediately as freshmen. They are out there. There's not a lot of them, but they are out there, and there's there are some in the state, in the state of Indiana that other other schools have come in and and recruited and 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 taken them out of state. And those those are recruiting battles that Purdue needs to win. Uh, and the other way to do it is through the graduate transfer market or junior college. Uh, so I, I would expect Purdue to be extremely active in that in that market coming up uh, in this offseason. Basically, you know, they need to hang out a banner and make it known they are open for business for graduate transfers because, um, you know, they need them. You know, they need as many as they can. It really doesn't matter what position they play because you just you, – you fit them in where you need them and you go with what else you have on the offensive line at that time and – uh, you know, the first two years, Purdue had three graduate transfers on the offensive line, and um, the line held up well. So there, there is something to it right now. So uh, we'll see what happens uh, in the off season. But that, to me, that's the only way that really. There's two ways to get it fixed, and um, and uh, Purdue's going to have to pick a path to do it, and and and, and move in that direction. You, you can do both, but the quicker fix is obviously through the grad transfer market. Uh, you know, we mentioned the quarterback, and Jeff Brom did point out and did confirm that the or on the depth chart was not a, a mistake, that he's trying to create competition at every position, including quarterback, and he just doesn't want Jack Plummer to think that he has the job. And if it pushes Jack to, to, to play better and make better decisions, then, you know, I think it'll be worth it. And, um, you know, when you take away the sacks, you know, I think that's when the evaluation of Jack, Jack Plummer starts uh, and finishes. He's been sacked. Um, he was uh, sacked. He's been sacked 13 times in the first two Big Ten games uh, because uh, Minnesota sacked uh, sacked the quarterback four times. But one of those was uh, Elijah Sindelar, and he that's the play he got hurt on. Uh, so. He's been under duress. There's no question about that. But I think Jeff Brom's trying to get him at a point where he, he's still improving and he doesn't want him to lose confidence, but there's somebody behind you pushing you. And I, I would expect Plummer to start 
and play a majority of the game, if not all of it, on on Saturday. And I, I, you know, I do think you know when you take away the sacks, he is he's getting he's getting a little bit better every week. You know, I think we saw improvement TCU to Minnesota. Maybe it's harder to see the improvement at Penn State because he was running for his life a lot, uh, and it wasn't a normal game. Uh, but I, what I'd like to see out of the offense on on Saturday is just more, you know, quick throws, just get the ball out, try to get three, four, five yards, and, and do it again. Maybe play with a little bit more tempo because if you go back, the best the best drive on offense uh, so far this year that I that I can remember right off the top of my head, and actually this was the discussion uh, in the in the media room on Monday, but not in the press conference, but amongst uh, the, the small group of reporters that cover Purdue, that, that the first drive against Nevada, the very first series where Purdue went down and scored, I think it was in 12 plays, has probably been the best drive of the year. And what, as you recall, and what, what, you know, what you remember about that is they played with tempo, the ball got out quick. Now they didn't have a great running game on that, on that series. Uh, there was some yardage picked up by uh, Alexander Horvath. Uh, but the tempo was part of it. The, the quick passes were part of it. And, you know, and I think Purdue needs to, to try to do that if they can. Maybe the personnel doesn't allow them to do that right now. Uh, I think Jeff Browns probably would know that better, but he also needs to uh, adjust and adapt to what he has now, and he can't put his quarterback in seven-step drops You know, every play. You, you, there are times you need to go deep. There are times you, you've got to take those drops, but – I just like to see them get the ball out of their hand a little bit quicker. You know, just try to pick up some yardage here and there. Stay on the field for a little bit. You run the risk if you play faster of being on and off the field quickly and putting your defense back there, which you don't want to do. But, you know, they, they need to change some things up. And, and if Maryland or whoever's going to come up and cheat and try to take away those throws, I think then that's where – uh, you can you can hit him with some intermediate and deep routes, and would like to see the tight ends more involved. And according to Jeff, plays have been called for the tight end, and I mean there's no reason to doubt him about that. But for whatever reason, whether the quarterback's under pressure, the tight end tight ends can't get off press coverage. Uh, there's just not a lot of targets there right now. And I, you know I think if they can get the tight ends involved, especially Bryson Hopkins, early in the game, you know that might open up some things for other receivers. Uh, across the board and then defensively uh, they need to start fast they they can't let Maryland get on top of them like Minnesota did and like Penn State did you know Purdue uh, in the last uh, four games they've given up given up a, at least a first quarter touchdown and they're giving up an average of 13.4 points in the first quarter and they're falling behind they were down 18 at half against Minnesota down 21 at Penn State and that's that's this offense right now with the personnel that it has uh really can't come back from those deficits uh, all the way and they just you know need their defense to make some stops early and then make some stops you know late in the game uh, if if Purdue's able to to get a lead so uh, you know that kind of looks ahead to what what, uh, I'd like to see Saturday from from Purdue Uh, you know it's a big you know it's a big big game it really is Uh, you need to stop this losing streak Uh, you need to win on homecoming um, because you know the fans, fans enjoy that, and the alumni enjoy that for uh, a lot of different reasons. But you know, injuries are still kind of a major part uh, of uh, of the story uh, with Purdue. You won't see Rondell Moore. Uh, he, he didn't practice Tuesday or Wednesday. 
Um, Jared Sparks is likely out. Uh, you know, Anthony Watts is out. Uh, Jeff Brom said on his radio show that it was an elbow injury. He really hadn't said what it was till uh, till then. You know, you're not going to have Lorenzo Neal uh, uh, for the game. Uh, you might see, and this this is, might be a stretch, but you you could see Tario Fuller uh, and maybe Richie Worship. Uh, they they did practice this week with the running backs. They were involved in individual drill stuff, at least the parts that we were able to watch. So it wouldn't be surprised if you saw uh, number twenty five out there, uh, which would give you know the running back room a lift, give the offense a bit of a lift. But I you know the bigger lift to me would be Richie Worship getting out there and getting a, a carrier or two just to get him back. He hasn't played in nearly two years, and um, you know he's a guy that they they, they missed last year, and I, you know, they they really missed this year because they just don't have the depth at running back. So. Don't be surprised if those two guys uh, maybe step on the field Saturday, if not this week, maybe next week or going into the Illinois game. Um, so it's been a long road back for worship, no question. It's been a long road back for Fuller, uh, who f- suffered a fractured jaw back in August in training camp. So those you know, those are some things to watch for uh, on Saturday. Uh, once again, uh, uh, thanks for listening to this uh, week's edition of the Boilers Extra Podcast. Uh, subscribe through iTunes and all the all the means that uh, they tell you to. I can't tell you what those are, but uh, if it pops up on your phone, that means you subscribe to it, and we appreciate it. Uh, I'll be back after the game with a post game edition uh, with uh, hopefully Sam King, uh, and uh, we'll 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 go through what happened uh, in the homecoming game against Maryland uh, at Ross Aid Stadiums. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll we'll be back with another edition uh, following. Uh, Uh, Saturday's game against Maryland.